Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And folks, I want, to, I want to tell you that when we called off last Wednesday night, it wasn't just about the roads. I know the roads were clear. I knew they would be. We had a number of other issues that we were out of our control. And it was just one of those times we just, it was just better not to try because we had a lot of things going on. And so you just have to trust me on that. And so I appreciate your understanding. <clears throat> First four verses. And you will probably read over this and not find anything in it, but I, I want to share with you tonight from the first four verses. First Thessalonians chapter 2, it's, Paul said, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, not a failure. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much affliction. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts." I want to speak to you a few minutes on the subject of going from failure to fruitfulness. A little boy walked up to his teacher's desk. He was holding a report card, and on that report card, it had a big red F. And he looked at his teacher, and he said, if I were you, I would change this while you still can. And the teacher looked at him and said, why is that? And he said, because my daddy told me that if I brought home one more failing report card, someone was going to get a beating. <laughs> and I love the, the boy who brought home his report card, and unfortunately, it had a couple of Fs on it, but he was smart enough. He brought it to his dad, and he said, Dad, here's my report card, and here's a couple of yours that I found in the attic also. <laughs> you know, I, I really never understood those grades. I mean, I understand F means fail. But what does A mean? I mean, it stood for excellent, not awesome. And B, it was good, but it didn't stand for beautiful. Or C meant average, not complacent. And D meant poor instead of despicable. I never really understood those grades. I knew what an F was, and I knew I didn't want one. And you may never have gotten an F on your report card, but the chances are good that you have failed at something before. And if you've never failed at anything, you're dismissed. You don't have to stay here tonight. Imagine for a moment that I came to preach here at Southcrest. You didn't know me. I came to preach, and someone found out that I had been in jail in the city where I preached before, and they had formed a mob committed to running me out of town and they stir up opposition to me and then I pre preach here for a short time and the pressure gets so hot that in the middle of the night, I load up Laura and we sneak out of town. Most people would consider that a failure. 
Well, that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. Now, they didn't get out in a car. But when they came to Thessalonica from Philippi, he had already been beaten and thrown into jail. Do you remember the earthquake that happened and the Philippian jailer got saved? But he'd been beaten and thrown into jail and with the wounds still on his back and tender, he preached in Thessalonica for a short time and a mob formed to oppose him and they looked at him and Silas to drag them out into the streets to stone them. But Paul and Silas hid themselves and snuck out in the middle of the night and left and headed for Berea. And after he had preached in Berea for a few weeks, the mob from Thessalonica followed him there and stirred up a mob against Paul again, and he had to leave again, and this time he headed to Athens. Now, by many standards, Paul's visit to Thessalonica could be called a failure. He didn't do very well there. That's what most people would say. He only preached there a short time, and then he was run out of town, and Paul is a great example of how God can turn what looks like our failures into something that can be fruitful. Now, where have there been failures in your life? Maybe you've gone through a heartache of a failed marriage or a failed job or you were fired or you were asked to resign. You might have applied for a scholarship or a job and you got turned down. You may have been suffering from failing health. You might have experienced a financial failure. Maybe you feel like you failed as a parent or you failed in business. For all of us who've ever failed or will fail in the future, there are some truths here that I think that we can learn The first one is this, remember that failure is not always final. In fact, he says in verse one, our visit to you, our coming to you was not a failure or in vain. Now, why do you think he wrote that? Have you ever thought, I mean, that's not really a great way to start a letter. He's already given a few introductory things and commending them. And then he says, and I want to remind you that when we came, it wasn't a failure. Why did he say that? I think it was because there were some of his enemies who were claiming that Paul's visit to the Thessalonians was such a miserable failure. And at the time, I'm sure Paul was disappointed. In fact, he had to sneak out of town in the middle of the night and nobody enjoys getting run out of town. But with the perspective of time, Paul insisted what most people would call a failure had turned into something good by God's power. Paul, a lesser man would have probably given up on preaching after being run out of town through two or three times in two or three cities. Paul kept on preaching. The truth of it is that one time or another, all of us are going to fail, but failure doesn't have to define you. Just because it looks like a failure, it doesn't define you. Just because you failed, it doesn't mean you are a failure. The Bible says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity, Proverbs 24, 16. Even righteous people, even good people sometimes fall and fail, but the righteous person gets up keeps on going. When a wicked person stumbles, they just stay down. I don't know about you, but as you read through the Bible, it's a who's who of failures. When you get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's sometimes been called the, the, the faith chapter or the heroes of the faith chapter. It's really a roll call of failures. 
I mean, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, lied to Isaac in order to steal the blessing that belonged to Esau. Moses killed a man, and because of his anger and losing his temper, he failed to go into the promised land. Jesus had two disciples that failed him. Judas, who betrayed him and failed in his commitment to Jesus, and he did not repent. Peter, on the other hand, boasted Jesus to Jesus, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and he denied him, but Peter did repent, and Jesus restored him. John Maxwell you may have heard of him. He's written a lot of books on leadership. And I, I found a quote that I, I really like. He said, failing doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means I've not yet succeeded. It doesn't mean I've accomplished nothing. It just means I've learned something. It doesn't mean I'm a, I'm, I've been a fool. It just means I've had the courage to take a risk. It doesn't mean God has abandoned me. It just means he has a better idea. I don't know who wrote this. Someone wrote, failure does not mean I have disgraced. It means I have dared to try. Failure does not mean I don't have it. It does mean I have something to do in a different way. Failure does not mean I am inferior. It does mean I'm not perfect. Failure does not mean I've wasted my life. It does mean that I have an excuse to start over. Failure does not mean I should give up. It means that I should try harder. Failure does not mean that I will never make it. It does mean that I need more practice. Failure does not mean that you have abandoned me. It does mean that you must have a better idea. So failure is not final and God can bring you back from that. And that's why he said, I, I want to remind you, when we came to you, it wasn't, we, it wasn't a failure. The second thing is that you remain faithful in spite of the failure. Paul and Silas were actually harmed in two ways in Philippi before they ever got to. In fact, you'll see what he says in, in verse 2, but after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. Now that word suffered speaks of physical abuse where spitefully treated refers to public disgrace or even legal abuse. They were unjustly judged. They were made prisoners when they had committed no crime. Paul said my, our, our, his confidence was not in himself. On the contrary, his confidence gave him boldness to keep on going. He kept on being faithful. He wholeheartedly trusted God. You know, later he wrote to the Ephesians when he said to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6.10. And, and he also said in 2 Corinthians 12 that his human weakness, his thorn in the flesh was a way that God could actually use him in ways that he never dreamed possible because he had to depend upon the power of God. You'll notice the, the phrase in verse two, the gospel of God. Well, it describes the gospel from God's perspective. God is the source of the gospel. God is the one who gave us the good news. He's the one that sent Jesus. And it's the good news designed and revealed from God about what he has done to redeem sinners through his grace and through Jesus Christ. And Paul said that they had suffered for the gospel's sake, but we were bold in verse two. We were bold. Even after they'd suffered, it means that bold in the sense of still speaking 
publicly, making a declaration. We were not going to hide. He preached boldly in much conflict. The word for conflict is agonia. We get our word agony. And sometimes serving the Lord brings what seems to be agony. Paul wound up in prison because of it. He preached the gospel. To be effective in our testimony, you still got to be bold. It's not a time to cower down. It's, it's a time to be bold. Folks, we have, we have the answer for people's problems. It's not political. This, this country's not going to change until hearts change. And the only way your heart's going to change is for God to change it. And that comes when you commit your life to Christ. Just because the going gets tough doesn't mean you, you quit. You ever done any ministry? <laughs> I can tell you it's a temptation every Monday for me to quit. I'm just tired. But it's not a reason to quit. And just because it gets hard and just because it gets challenging and just because you get tired, Paul preached to the Jews that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah in the Old Testament. And they didn't like it. And Paul preached to the Gentiles that, that he was the one true God and they didn't like it, especially with all their other gods. And he remained faithful. Paul was an equal opportunity offender. He just preached Jesus. And it's, and it's going to be offensive to people, especially when you say he's the only way to heaven. It offends people. But it doesn't mean that we stop sharing the gospel of God. To tell you the truth, it's also a great proof to me of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you think Paul and Silas would have suffered and been beaten and thrown into prison and suffered the way they did for a lie? You wouldn't die for a lie. All of, the, all of the disciples died a martyr's death except maybe one and, and it wasn't good. That to me is a proof that Jesus rose again because these are the same guys that cowered and took off running when Jesus was arrested and after the resurrection, they were as bold as a lion and they died for that. They would not have died. And I think Paul and Silas, of course, Paul had a, an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and he saw Jesus and he kept on going. We're to remain faithful. Don't quit. Just because you messed up, you don't quit. I can tell you uh, a number of things that don't work leading a church because I've tried them. <laughs> but I've have, I found a few things that do work. And I can, and I, and you know, just because something doesn't work doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that that just doesn't fit in our gun. You know, I, I, I use the terminology that that ammo just doesn't fit in my gun. It's just not, it's just not right. But just because we failed from time to time, you know, when we first started the eight o'clock service m many years ago, it didn't go over very well. So we didn't keep doing it for very long. It just wasn't the right timing. Sometimes our failures just aren't the right timing. 
And I wouldn't say it was a failure. It just, it just wasn't what we would call a success story. But the third thing is you need to retain your focus in the midst of failure. Look at verse three, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, God had given them the greatest resource. God entrusted them with the gospel. Most banks, all banks, have a trust department. And that trust department is when you donate your money to a trust, you expect it to be managed well, to handled rightly. And Paul was the kind of man who God said, I entrust this with you to be handled correctly and properly. Keep your focus there. Author Jim Stovall said, conventional wisdom might tell us that people who succeed never fail and failures never succeed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Failure isn't final. It's the fertilizer for your future success. The only thing that is final is quitting. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said... In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have opposition. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. When you you start doing things for the Lord's work and for his kingdom and for his church, and you're surprised that it gets hard, we're, we're fighting an invisible enemy. We're fighting the forces of evil. Retain your focus. Some of the people we consider successful experience failure. Let me see if you can guess some of these people. See if you can guess the names. He was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Walt Disney. She was demoted from her job as a news anchor because the producer said she wasn't fit for television. Oprah Winfrey. As a 30-year-old, he was devastated and depressed after being removed from a company he started. Steve Jobs. I feel like I'm doing Jeopardy here. He, he 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 failed the sixth grade and was defeated in every election for public office until he became England's prime minister. That ought to tell you. Winston Churchill. Now get this one. He was fired after his first performance at the Grand Ole Opry and was told by the manager, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Elvis Presley. Emperor Ferdinand criticized him and said his operas were far too noisy and contained far too many notes. Wolfgang Mozart. Can you imagine having a name, Wolfgang? (laughs) 
In 2006, Michael Jordan made a television commercial for Nike in which he said, I've missed over 9,000 shots. I lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been, I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Well, Paul spent a lot of his ministry in prison. And yet, he refused to be called a failure. In fact, he boasted that being in jail just gave him a great opportunity to share the gospel. He had a captive audience. He wrote these words from prison in Philippians 1.12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He was the original optimist. He turned his lemons into lemonade. He turned a jailhouse into a church house. He turned those chains into a congregation. He turned a prison into a pulpit. Keep remembering what God can do and what God will do, even though you may not see the results anytime soon. Y'all remember, this group will remember, Charles Colson. He was one of the bloodthirsty political fighters for Richard Nixon. And he once said publicly that he would walk over his own grandmother to reelect Richard Nixon. But the turning point in his life when, when, he, when he was convicted in the Watergate scandal and was sent to federal prison, and just before he was sentenced to prison, a friend gave him a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Colson was at such a low point in his life, he realized how much he needed Jesus, and that's when he became a follower of Jesus. And when he was released from prison, he founded the Prison Fellowship and was the author of 30 Christian books, had a syndicated radio program on over 1,400 stations. He received the Templeton Prize for Religious Work, and President George W. Bush awarded him the Presidential Citizens Award. His failure became the catalyst for his success, and he wrote a book entitled it Born Again, and in it he said, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. It is never too late to live your life for God. No matter how much you've blown it, no matter how far you've sunk, it's never too late to say, Lord, from this day forward, I want to live for you. I want to honor you. It doesn't mean all the other things are going to go away and it's going to be undone, but you can start from this day forward moving ahead. I also want you to notice, I think I call it, you need to realize the formula that leads to failure. Look at verse 4. Not as pleasing men. We're not trying to please men, but God. Herbert Schwope was the first winner of the Pulitzer Prize for reporting. He later served as the editor of the New York World. And his most famous quote is this, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. It's this, try to please everybody. 
If you spend your life trying to please everybody, you'll never succeed. Abraham Lincoln is credited with saying, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. I have a phrase that goes like this. You can't please some people any of the time. (laughs) You can't. And you can't please all the people some of the time. People are too fickle. In fact, when Paul wrote to Galatians, he, Galatians 1.10, he said, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's going to come a time when you have to choose, am I going to please God or am I going to please man? Boy, it's an uncomfortable place to be, but it's an easy decision to make if you'll just say, God, what would you have me to do? What does your word tell me to do? I'm going to do what God tells me to do and not worry about if it pleases. You know, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. You want to follow him. A fourth thing, you reinforce faith, your faith in the midst of failure. Look at verse four again. Even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Life is full of tests. Ever since you were in grammar school, and I was in grammar school, we've been taking tests. You can't graduate unless you pass the test. And if you get caught cheating on a test, that's bad. I I heard about a high school teacher who told the football coach that she had caught his star quarterback cheating on a test and he could not play this coming Friday night. Well, the coach was upset. He went to the teacher and he said, how do you know my quarterback cheated? Teacher said he was sitting across from the smartest girl in the class and they had the same score. And the coach said, well, that doesn't prove anything. That could have been a coincidence. And the teacher showed him the two tests. And he said, look at question number 10. The smart girl's answer was, I don't know. And your quarterback put, I don't either. (laughs) You remember when you had final exams when you were in school? That's a misnomer. There is no final exam because all of our life, even after we graduate, we still taking tests. There's eye tests and driving tests and stress tests and blood tests and taste tests. God says in Isaiah 48, 10, see, I have refined you though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. There are many places in the scripture where God speaks of refining us. I remember growing up in El Dorado, Arkansas, there's a, ref- a couple of refineries in that town. It was an oil town many years ago, but refineries were still there. A refinery is a place where substance is purified. In an oil refinery, gases and other elements are removed from the crude oil to create pure gas and gasoline products. God allows us sometimes to go through some tests and some fire and some struggles and some failures to refine us. 
God is removing those things in our lives that are not Christ-like. Several years ago, Christianity Today did a a survey of Christians and they asked the, the subjects to name the time in their life when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer, during a crisis. People confess that their faith grew most during the times of personal adversity. When we struggle, we turn our eyes on the Lord. So in the, even in the midst of your failure, God hasn't written you off. God can turn a man's failures into his favor. There may be some of you <clears throat> who consider President George W. Bush to have been a failure. I'm not one of those. He wasn't the most eloquent speaker, but what I appreciated about him was that he acted on the courage of his convictions. And if you don't agree with me, I don't mind being in the minority because my beliefs are becoming more and more in the minority all the time in the nation. In 1937, George Gallup introduced a poll called the Presidential Job Approval Rating. And the public was asked a simple question. Do you approve or disapprove of the way President so-and-so is handling his job as a president? Well, here's some presidential trivia for you. Did you know that President George W. Bush had the highest one-time approval rating of any president? 90% right after 9-11. But he also had the highest one-time disapproval rating. 71% in October of 2008. And when you look at the average approval rating over the entire term, George W. Bush has a higher approval rating than President Obama had. 49.9%. It just goes to show you how fickle people are. But since this poll began, can you guess which president has had the lowest average approval rating? Of all the presidents, you know who had the lowest average approval rating? 45.4%. First name is Harry. Truman. Ten days after being sworn in as the vice president, Franklin Roosevelt died. And Truman found himself as the commander-in-chief of the United States, and his average approval rating was 45.4%. He made some tough decisions. He made the decision to drop the atomic bombs on Japan to end World War II. He later fired General MacArthur during the Korean War. But one of his most unpopular decisions was made on May the 14th, 1948. At midnight, Israel time, which was 6 p.m. in Washington, D.C., the British formally ended their control of the area called Palestine. At the same moment, the state of Israel declared their statehood and President Truman and his cabinet knew that it was coming and had argued about it for several days. The majority of his cabinet, including the Secretary of State, General George Marshall, was violently opposed to recognizing Israel. But nevertheless, at 6.11 p.m., 11 minutes after midnight in Tel Aviv, Charlie Ross, President Truman's press secretary, issued this statement. 
The president has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. The first nation to recognize Israel was the United States. And against advice from most of his cabinet, Harry Truman recognized them when Israel was only 11 minutes old. Chaos ensued after his announcement. Three of his cabinet members threatened to resign. They later stayed, but they always disagreed with his decision. And of course, of course, Congress was upset that they weren't consulted about the decision. (laughs) One day later, May the 15th, the Arab armies attacked Israel. And the first Arab-Israeli war began, but at least Israel had an ally on board. It was the United States. One of the reasons the United States has been blessed the way it has is because we have remained an ally to God's chosen people. And Harry Truman had the reputation of being the most unpopular president, and many people would call him a failure But he didn't care about public opinion. He was afraid. He wasn't afraid to fail. In fact, he said, the buck stops here. And when he was asked about his unpopular decisions, I love his response. He said, how far would Moses have gone if he had taken a poll in Egypt? And what would Jesus Christ have preached if he had taken a poll in Israel? And what would have happened to the Reformation if Martin Luther had taken a poll It isn't polls or public opinions of the moment that counts. It's about the right and wrong. It's about right and wrong and leadership. So I want you to remember, failure, it's not fatal. It's not final. I love the one that said it's just fertilizer for the future success. According to the world standards, Paul was a failure. He was unpopular. There was usually a mob after him. He spent more time in jail than he did hotels. He was shipwrecked, beaten, and stoned. And according to Ignatius, when Nero was emperor, Paul was locked in the Marmertine prison in Rome. He was taken from prison and beheaded, which was a benefit afforded to him as a Roman citizen. Beheading was quick death, unlike crucifixion. But you know, the moment that his head was severed from his body, he was absent from the body and present with the Lord. A failure? Well, think again. Today, we name our sons Paul, and we name our dogs Nero. See, God can turn human failure into heavenly favor. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've blown it, no matter the failure, did you know God will forgive you? And it's never too late to start serving him now. We've all failed, all of us. I'd love to have a lot of do-overs, wouldn't you? I'd probably fail again. 
But I'm so, God, I'm so glad that God does not define us by our failures. In fact, he takes us in our failures and he loves us and he saves us and he forgives us. And he makes something beautiful from our lives. It's never too late. It's never too late to serve the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.